He was buried in an unmarked grave. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Though we may not be as famous as Stephen F. Austin, and he missed the Texas Revolution, without Green DeWitt establishing his colony, the first battle of the Texas Revolution would have happened somewhere else. Or maybe not at all. And we wouldn't have a show name. This week we talk about Empresario Green DeWitt. But first, what's your favorite Texas alcohol? Well, I'm going to be boring and I'm going to say Shinerbach because you just can't beat the Bach. Boring. Safe choice. Safe choice. Well, I'm going to stay strangely silent on this one, but I am going to talk about that my friend Jacob swears by Texas Silver Star Honey Whiskey. Who knows, maybe made in Montana, but he loves this stuff. And it's got a Texas star on the front. And it says Texas <laughs> on the label. Can't beat that. <laughs> There's also well, a really cool whiskey that comes in a Texas-shaped bottle. And I may have three bottles of that in my closet, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> now, I, I've sampled many uh, different spirits and beers in Texas. And I keep thinking someone, something will come along to dethrone my favorite. But... For several years now, I just can't get enough of the uh, Aloha Pina from Five Stones Artisan Brewery. Um, But it's extremely hard to find, or at least I've found it extremely hard to find in the DFW area. So I'll just drink some of my uh, 903 Sasquatch to soothe my despair. Fine, Mm. Scott. Fine. You're going to pull it out of me. I will tell you. It's Republic whiskey, okay? That's the best (laughs) whiskey. It comes in a Texas-shaped bottle. It does not have a Texas-shaped cork. That would be the only thing that would make it better. <laughs> and it is delicious. And where do we find this Texas-shaped Go bottle? to your total wine. Go to your local... Mike's Closet. He already told us. Mike's Closet mm. has... Mike's Closet may have a couple bottles in there. No, it's great <laughs> stuff. You can find it at your uh, Specs, Total Wine, all your local neighborhood uh, package stores. Sounds like it would be delicious with a macerated cherry and... Some Augustina bitters. There you go. That's been drinking hour with Come and Take It. <laughs> Green DeWitt was born in Kentucky on February 12, 1787. DeWitt's father moved his family to the then Spanish-held territory in Missouri while he was just an infant. Not much is known about the DeWitt's family life there, but they were successful enough to provide Green a decent education for a time. And he returned to Kentucky for two years when he was 18 to attend college. From there, he returned to Missouri and married Sarah Seeley, the daughter of a prominent St. Louis family, in 1808. Green enlisted in the Missouri militia during the War of 1812 and became a captain. He served as sheriff of Rawls County when he returned to civilian life after the war. Now, like many others, DeWitt was inspired by Moses Austin's success in getting a grant from the Spanish government to establish a colony in the first the spanish and later the mexican territory of texas now owing to his father's owing to his own father's success in moving to the spanish territory now owing to his own father's success in moving to spanish territory and most likely knowing both moses austin and his son and successor stephen who'd also received spanish land grants in missouri before dewitt thought that he had what it took to be an empresario his first attempt was in 1822, but that was unsuccessful. 
DeWitt was undeterred, though, and he tried again. He visited Texas and Stephen F. Austin at Austin's Colony. He proceeded on to Saltillo, which is the capital of the state of Coahuila y Tejas, and he petitioned them for a grant. This time, with the support of Austin and of Texas's land commissioner, our friend, the self-styled Baron de Bastrop, Felipe Enrique Neri, he was successful, and he received his grant on April 15, 1825. DeWitt was given permission to settle 400, quote, respectable, industrious Catholic families in an area between the Guadalupe, San Marcos, and Lavaca rivers. His wife, Sarah DeWitt, who'd come from a wealthy family, helped finance his colony by selling off some of her property in Missouri. Money remained an issue for DeWitt for the duration of his land grant. Right after receiving his grant, he was accused of misappropriating public funds in Missouri by Peter Ellis Bean. Bean was an early filibuster who'd escaped Spanish captivity to serve in both the Mexican Revolution and Andrew Jackson's defense of New Orleans. He was now an Indian agent for the Mexican government in Texas. It's unclear what motivation Bean had for accusing DeWitt of the crime, but the charge would disqualify DeWitt from being approved for his land grant. The issue was taken before the Jefe Politico in San Antonio, but DeWitt was exonerated on October 16, 1825, after Stephen F. Austin himself investigated the matter. He found no grounds for the charges. Ironically, Bean would be denied his own application for a land grant, since there was a little matter of him having wives and children in both Mexico and Arkansas. Simultaneously. Yes. Bigamy's a crime. DeWitt appointed James Kerr, a member of Austin's Old 300, to act as surveyor general of his colony. Kerr placed the capital at the point where the San Marcos and Guadalupe River converged and named it Gonzales, in honor of Rafael Gonzales, then provisional governor of Cuya y Teas. Gonzales would obviously go on to have great impact on Texas history, including being the place where the name of this very podcast became famous. The first settlers arrived in the summer of 1825, though DeWitt himself would not make his first visit until October. He only spent a few weeks in the colony inspecting Kerr's work before returning to Missouri to promote the colony and rustle up some settlers. By April 1826, he brought his wife, two sons, three of his daughters, and three other families to the colony to join those already there. In July 1826, a horse raid by Native Americans on Gonzales scattered the settlers. Most fled to Austin's nearby colony for a time. Mexico's colonization laws forbid settlements within 10 leagues of the coast, but DeWitt managed to get permission to establish a temporary settlement near the mouth of the Lavaca River on Matagorda Bay. Old Station, as it was called, was allowed to operate with the caveat that it be abandoned when enough colonists arrived to ensure their safety back on Gonzales. By October of 1826, 40 people lived in Old Station. They might have stayed there longer, but the Mexican government had made a mistake and didn't set a boundary between DeWitt's colony and that of Martin de Leon to the south. DeWitt and de Leon had numerous disputes over the issue, and at one point, de Leon and DeWitt <clears throat> and at one point, de Leon had DeWitt arrested, claiming that the tobacco being shipped into the colony was contraband. In point of fact, most of the goods that came to and from all the colonies were unregulated, untaxed, and therefore, by definition, contraband. Texians of all stripes had little love for Mexico's taxation policies. Austin stepped in to reduce tensions, but the ire between DeWitt and de Leon was never really reduced. 
Still, as a result of this dispute, the Mexican authorities ordered Old Station to be abandoned and the settlers forced to move back to Gonzales. Green DeWitt, along with Austin and De Leon, signed a peace treaty with the Caracua tribe in 1827 to prevent raiding. The colonies of all three men had been encroaching on Caracua territory, especially the rivers that the natives depended upon for fishing. DeWitt also managed to secure a treaty with the Takua, who lived just northeast of San Antonio. But when he approached the Comanche, they were, unsurprisingly, not interested in a treaty. Now, the continuing raids took a toll on the settlement, and the political chief in Behar sent the settlers a small cannon with which to protect themselves. This cannon later became somewhat important to the colony. DeWitt, alongside brothers Byrd and Charles Lockhart, Jose Antonio Navarro, Kerr, and others worked hard on this colony. His contemporary, Noah Smithwick, later said of him, quote, he was as enthusiastic in praise of the country as the most energetic real estate dealer of boom towns nowadays. Despite his hard work, DeWitt did not have the same personal appeal as Austin. While he represented the District of Gonzales in the Convention of 1833, he otherwise never got elected to any office within his own colony. In 1830, a law was passed that prohibited further immigration to Texas from the United States. Austin got a waiver for DeWitt's colony as well as his own, but the law made it even more difficult for him to recruit settlers. On April 15, 1831, when his contract expired, DeWitt had only been able to settle 166 families, less than half what was originally agreed upon. Because he was unable to meet his side of the bargain, the lands in his colony that had not been assigned defaulted back to the Mexican government, and DeWitt was unable to get another contract. His colony continued, though, and even became more successful by 1831. It was too little too late for DeWitt, though. His finances were completely depleted, as he had used his personal and family funds, largely from his wife's sale of her land, to help support the colony. As early as 1828, one visitor, though impressed by DeWitt, said of him, quote, Dissipation and neglectful indolence have destroyed his energies. DeWitt even endorsed his wife's petition in December 1830 to the Ajuntamiento of San Felipe de Austin, which asked for a special grant of a league of land in her maiden name to, quote, protect herself and family from poverty to which they are exposed by the misfortunes of her husband. The Mexican government granted the land in April of 1831. Now, others within the colony suffered the same poverty. Smithwick said that money was as scarce as bread, and the, colonies, and the colonists generally bartered with pelts. Green issued handwritten land script in five, ten, and twenty dollar de- denominations for his colonists to buy their land. This script was transferable, and it became a medium of exchange, and is actually one of the first examples of Texas paper currency. Hoping to recoup some of his losses, DeWitt traveled to Monclova in 1835 in hopes of getting more premium land that he could then sell to new settlers to help fund his colony. Of course, this was when hostilities between Mexico and the Texas colony were heating up, and the governor was selling land to raise money for defense. DeWitt's request was denied, and he would not be granted any new land, nor would he live to see the Texas Revolution. DeWitt contracted cholera while in Monclova and died there on May 18, 1835. He was buried in an unmarked grave. His colony and his family would have a prominent place in the coming conflict, though. The first true battle of the revolution was fought in Gonzales, and it was Green's wife Sarah and his daughter Naomi who cut up Naomi's wedding dress to make the famous 
Come and take it, flag. Sarah would continue to live in Gonzales through the Revolution, Republic, and into statehood, dying on November 28, 1854. The land grant she received to protect her from her husband's bad luck was one of the few given to a woman by the Mexican government. So, you know, one of the we've talked about the Green DeWitt colony quite a lot in previous episodes because one of those 166 colonists uh, in the colony was the uh, Taylor family, uh, of which young Creed was the most prominent scion of that family. And so he was living in Gonzales with his family at the time of the Texas Revolution, and then he was seemingly everywhere from that point on. So, uh, although I believe I remember we talked about that his father had probably been in Texas before, maybe as a squatter, uh, because of uh, he was part of the uh, Gutierrez McGee expedition, and so uh, there was a history of the Taylor family in Texas, but definitely they were. They were in the Dewitt colony on the roster as official colonists at that point in the 1830s. So Cree Taylor, once again, he's everywhere. Everywhere and always. Everywhere and always. Well, Dewitt County was one of the turning... Gonzales is one of those interesting places where a lot of stuff happened there. Uh, We talked in in the Cree Taylor episode, some of those early episodes about that area of South Texas where uh, my parents grew up. And if you draw a circle of just a few miles around that, all kinds of hijinks, adventures, outlaws, and heroes pass through that area. And it's all because of this one guy, Green DeWitt, getting his uh, colony up and running. And the shame of the whole story is that it bankrupted him. And and became, you know, it was the front door into Texas for most people for a very long time. That is true. You know, uh, it was a hard life in Texas. Uh, uh, there's uh, several books I've read about early days of Texas. And, I mean, they, you know, when he said money was as scarce as bread, uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of anything. You know, the, about the only thing they had enough of was probably mosquitoes uh, and maybe <laughs> maybe the occasional rabbit. Uh, they said that, you know, in the area, actually, it's really the lush part of Texas, so. Uh, there's a lot of water that's there and a lot of rivers and there's a lot of game. Um, so, you know, in, in one hand, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty nice area to live in. And that's why the, they settle it. You know, the Spanish settled San Antonio, not far away. Um, but at the same time, you know, they were, they were, it was difficult to get goods either from Mexico or from the United States. Um, and there was a lot of smuggling that happened. Uh, and you know, you just kind of, there was no travelers talked about, you know, we stopped at this house, uh, at the DeWitt house and we were welcomed and we had a dinner of, of, uh, some deer haunch and, uh, a little bit of corn pone and that was it, you know, and some water. <laughs> and then we went to the next area and it was another farm and we spent the night on the floor at this other farm and, mm. well, let me throw out one other thing. So, you know, of course there's. The DeWitt Colony, but in honor of Green DeWitt, there's DeWitt County. Uh, the county seat, so it, it basically is right there between Carn City and Kennedy. We talked about as you head over towards uh, Nornheim and Yorktown, you get into DeWitt County, and then the county seat, of course, is Quero, which we've talked about in a couple of episodes as well, which is, of course, the turkey capital of Texas. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a lot of poultry there. Also, the uh, near there was where the the Chisholm Trail originated, right there in DeWitt County. So there's a lot of, of again, this is a place, when you look at a map, you see Gonzales, you see DeWitt, you see Lavaca, you start to look at these different interesting cities, people, and places, and realize, wow, what an amazing... Um, what an amazing quilt of all these Texas stories and historical places that have all come together right here. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Well, you know, if you really want to find out more information about the DeWitt colony, there is a fantastic website with a ton of primary source material called the sons of DeWitt colony.org. Uh, it is a website dedicated to the history of the DeWitt colony uh, there are oral histories, there's documents in there, there's pictures, there's maps, there's fantastic stuff. A lot of our research over the years, the last five years, has actually come from this great primary source uh, website. So uh, it, it looks like it came out of 1997, uh, but that's okay because it really works very well. So um, I, I really enjoy this website. So keep it up, guys. It's great. Great site. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shama, two ends. And I'm Scotticus. A big shout out to our good friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Blackguard Press and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. If you like the show, we'll tell your friends about it. Leave a review on iTunes because that helps us to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.